The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Experience the difference. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. eat better, get healthy, and help animals. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. What if we're fixating on all the wrong things? Miracle diets, miracle foods, miracle supplements, and having the perfect BMI. The latest science shows that we might be missing out on the things that have outsized impact on our centenarian potential, friendships, empathy, kindness, volunteering, purpose in life. The guest in our second segment, Marta Zareska, has written a whole book about this, Growing Young, and we're going to be talking about that later, but we're going to start right now to talk about friendship and caring and creativity and changing this world for the better as ways to stay healthy and ways to stay sane right now. Hi, everybody. I'm Victoria Moran, host of the Main Street Vegan Program. Thank you so, so very much for being with us. And my guests in segment number one are, oh, my goodness, A number one type guys, (laughs) two gentlemen that I admire so much. I'm also a great big fan of their video podcast, OG Talk. So we'll be speaking in this segment with comic Eddie Brill. Yes, I know. If you're into comedy at all, you know who Eddie is. He is very funny. He's all over the States and abroad, 17 years on the David Letterman show. He's taped more than 100 TV shows in six different countries, and he's been seen in a bunch of movies, including 30 Years to Life with Tracy Morgan. And with Eddie is his OG Talk co-host, Vladimir Grinberg, who is the founder of a classic New York City vegan restaurant. Now, I know we're not traveling now, but when you come to New York, whether you come next summer to go to to Main Street Vegan Academy or whether you come for your own purposes, you absolutely must 
visit the Organic Grill. It is in New York's East Village. It is the perfect vegan spot, and I'll bet anything that Vladimir himself will be there to greet you and meet you. This is the Organic Grill's 20th anniversary. And as I said, together these guys do one heck of a podcast. Welcome, Vlad and Eddie. Hey, good to (laughs) Good to hear your voice. We're not seeing each other, but we get to hear each other these days. And that part is good, too. So I always like to find out, first, bottom line, why everybody's vegan. So do you want to start with that, Vlad? Uh, I got vegan because uh, I was helping my mom to overcome her disease. She she had a lymphoma, and uh, uh, we kind of, swam into this uh, without knowing uh, much about ethical aspects of veganism. It was just focused on her health. And uh, it was very successful for her. And she turned our whole family around and we started to eat organic and vegan. And that's how it all started. I love it. And you, Eddie? Yeah. And, you know, this is uh, 10 years ago on July 4th. I happened to, I, I know a friend of mine who beat cervical cancer by going and changing her diet. And she told me about this place called Hippocrates in West Palm Beach. So I went down uh, July 4th, 2010, and I got the education of a lifetime from these very caring folks about food and nutrition. I learned more than, you know, and I was so angry at at so many of the lies that we were told. And I was like standing on the mountaintop screaming and yelling, oh, they're lying to us. But my friends were nice enough to say, look, just be an example and you know just be a vegan and now everyone's sort of come to me now so i'm very proud of being a vegan um it's great that i've been doing it for 10 years and i'm not screaming at everybody to you know to listen up well happy veganiversary and and usually (laughs) after the first 10 years we scream less but we do more and what you guys are doing with the og talk is is really stunning so how did you get together and where did the show come from well i i you know i live in the East Village and it's a, you know, that restaurant is amazing. So I went in that restaurant and through, you know, going in there, I met Vlad and, uh, you know, he's the, you know, he's like the ambassador there and, you know, he meets everyone and you meet, and then we discussed different ideas until we ended up um, to where we came up with this show. I love it. So Vlad, tell us about the restaurant and then tell us a little bit about the restaurant business in the time of COVID. I can't even imagine what you guys are all going through. So as, as you mentioned before, we are on 20th anniversary this summer. And uh, it was always for me as a goal, not only to provide clean and uh, food that people can eat at home, but also to provide uh, provide atmosphere and kind of environment that would be friendly enough and for uh, inviting so people would meet each other, people would extend uh, their network to other people and eventually become like a, a support group for each other because vegan food is definitely nutritious and uh, supports help, health, but it's also kind of emotionally reinvigorating and it helps people to to feel better so my goal was always to create this environment for people to make it a friendly place as of right now 
uh, I can say is that it's very challenging because we we were closed for a long time. We were closed for three and a half months, and we kind of lost um, our regular uh, sources of uh, business, such as um, deliveries to businesses, offices. Uh, we also did a lot of events uh, that are not available right now. But it also challenges us to be more receptive and kind of live in a moment and ask our customers and friends what do they really need right now like uh, we are trying to make it very flexible uh, offer them large family meals if needed uh, or if somebody is just living by themselves so they could buy something enough for one week that they can reheat if needed but they don't have to go out every day I love how you think, just just looking for a need and, and trying to fulfill it. So I know, Eddie, it's the same thing for performers. You and I were talking that my daughter and son-in-law were in a touring show. Everything was great. And then all of a sudden, everything was gone. And so yeah. they've had to do this giant shift. So what it's like, is it like for you and other comedians right now? Well, you know, there's a, a rhythm of the room that you get in a comedy club that you or in a theater that you can't get anywhere else. You can't get it on Zoom or, you know, it has to, it, you know, there's a dialogue, whether it be, you know, uh, you know, it's either it's a communication between the crowd and the, and the performer. And without it, it really doesn't go anywhere. It's really hard. I've been able to do some shows on Zoom where I have like a corporate show, for instance, and there's a... Uh, the, the head of the corporate and he'll ask me a million questions and we'll have you know sort of a, a dialogue and then the people at home will ask ask me questions so it's more you know taking comedy apart or I've done storytelling shows but stand-up is uh, an art form that needs to be performed live and it needs to be formed in, in a big crowd tight crowd and so we're, we're losing out and it really hurts uh, to not be able to do it's the first time in 36 years I've, t I've not been able to do stand-up for, you know, this many, four months plus. It's horrible. Yeah, that's a big deal. I, I notice on, on some of the TV shows even, and it's been very interesting to see these really established professionals start out doing their shows from their homes, and it was just so flat. I'm thinking, boy, this is going to be hard to keep watching. But, you know, they've gotten better <laughs> week after hey. week. Yeah, there's a way to do it. You know, I, re I remember uh, years ago I was working in London and it was a awful setup where it was a television taping and the ceilings were way too high and you couldn't really get the, you know, the last would go up. You know, you need a low ceiling. You know, there's a whole bunch of little atmospheric uh, problems in this big place. So I told the comedians, I you know, let's just go out there and act like we're doing well. Because what's going to happen later is the TV show is going to add, they call sweeten it. They're going to add laughs. They're going to add applause. So we went out to the crowd and, and they were horrible and they weren't, all their laughs were going up. But we just acted like we were doing well. And when you watch the show, you thought we were doing well because of the trickery that they did with the, the sound. Oh, I love that. Well, that's kind of a rule for life anyway. <laughs> Act yeah. as if, fake it till you make it. Yeah, right. That's exactly. Um... So we faked it. So you guys were friends. You 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 hung out at, at the Organic Grill. Where did this video podcast idea come from? It it, it was you know many different things. It, it started out, you know, it it grew. It started out as a, an idea of just to interview people, talk about vegan foods, and then 
you know, after different trial and errors, it it morphed into this show where Vlad and I, you know, interview these guests in all different walks of life, vegans and non-vegans, so that we can talk about veganism. So it's something like anything. It starts off a certain way and then morphs into uh, what it became. But also uh, uh, during all these years, I would always invite somebody to have dinner with me, uh, especially people who I ins- who inspire me and I admire. And if they accept uh, the dinner, I, I would kind of capitalize on it and ask them questions. And uh, and that's how this kind of tradition started. Yeah, and, and we ended up doing this, having this dinner with some friends, uh, the regulars at the restaurant, and it just seemed like the best possible way to do this show. You know, and that's what we did. It was, it was so we it's like having a meal with someone and you're you're you happen to be at the table with us. And we talk about, you know, we enjoy food. You know, it was very unique and, and very, very cool. And we're very proud of it. Well, you should be. And I know I was on it once and it was so much fun to go there and eat this amazing food. And usually the idea of I am eating and being filmed. This is odd. But I didn't <laughs> even think about that. All I thought about was the food is so wonderful. These guys are so wonderful. This atmosphere is so cool. I mean, it was really kind of like a family dinner when the family is getting along. Yes, and we felt the same. Yeah. Well, I I feel that whenever I I watch uh, OG talk, whoever you have on, you always seem to bring so much out of them. And I wonder if part of it is that they're eating. You know, when you kind of feel satisfied, like mom just gave you a good lunch to take to school, you you just uh, kind of have more to say. Well, look at the so, history of food. It's always, you know, it's, you, you know, you all get together and you eat together and you break bread together, as they say. And, uh, you know, so people do really warm up when you're having very delicious food with people you, you know, you're comfortable with. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very so, intimate setting when you eat with someone. Yeah. So, Vlad, tell us about your kind of food philosophy at the Organic Grill, because it, it really runs the gamut. I mean, I, I know you've got a gargantuan burger, and you've even got an, if you can eat a whole bunch of these burgers yeah. in a short period of time, you win something. And and yet you also have, you know, some really healthy, you know, uh, chapter and verse, whole food, plant-based kind of food, too. So so what's, your, it's got to be more difficult to have that big of a menu and, and that much variety. So why did you opt to do it that way? We wanted to be international. We wanted to be similar to what New York provides, uh, that people would find different variations of vegan food. But ultimately, uh, I was never uh, thinking of creating something extravagant. I was always hoping that whoever comes in, uh, he would enjoy the atmosphere, but also would take a note that this is something that he he or she can eat every day, okay? And I always try to answer questions, maybe even give some pointers or uh, uh, recipes. So my idea is for people to have this place where they can come and start eating uh, vegan if they are not. And for those who are, um, just to have this cool, homey place that they can come and try uh, foods that they would probably uh, eat at home anyway. Yeah, well, it, it is the most... Go ahead. I was just going to say, it's a very emotional 
um, scenario to have food, to eat food. And that's, you know, uh, whether where they're emotionally good or emotionally bad. But it's emotionally, it's an emotional experience. You remember, remember when we were kids and we'd have a barbecue in Antonita's place or, you know, you always have that. And food is always at the center of it. Well, that's why I think a really friendly place, and that's how I feel at the Organic Grill. I mean, if I were single, I would just eat there every day when we're not having a pandemic because I would like to meet, you know, my true love in a place like that. And I can just see, like, romance happening there, friendship, learning. You've got that whole wall full of vegan books and cookbooks uh, that, that people can draw from. So it's very sweet. And I'm wondering, Vlad, what advice do you have – to somebody who, no matter what, as bad as it is, pandemic, everything going on, they want to open a vegan restaurant and they are just going to do it. What would you tell them? Uh, I would say that it has to be three, two pre-requirements at least. You have to like people and you have to be not bothered with somebody's bad mood. <laughs> so you have to have a really... Um, skins that can take it and also you you have to love the food like uh, a lot of dishes that we keep on the menu is not only customers favorite but our, our favorite too and uh just quickly you said about romantic place you'll be surprised how many blind dates we have and how many couples i have that started as a as a couple and became family and now have kids and every valentine uh i have the same people uh calling because it's like a tradition because they met at organic grill now they have kids and they keep coming for valentine so for me valentine is very special because i get to meet those people that come in here for years so that's a very special feeling yeah, but, oh, we were there last Valentine's. It was delightful. That's right, that's right. And we always have, like, um, uh, um, raffles and uh, surprises for people. So it's always fun. But if you really want to open a restaurant, you have to really love food and you have to really love people. Because if you come in only for the money, uh, it's going to be huge awakening for you. I think that's true in a lot of labors of love. So you, you said, Vlad, that you wanted to talk about um, your experience with hosting the Main Street Vegan Academy lunches and the Q&A you did with Jean Bauer of Farm right. Sanctuary. So I uh, I want to say thank you again and again and again that you were such a great host of uh, our event with Jean Bauer. Uh, you knowing him for so many years and you n- being in, inside of the industry for so long. It was very, very special, very intimate and special setting. And uh, I want to be honest with you, when when you started to bring your group here uh, for, for, for lunch, I always thought, oh, they have a break and they just want to have t- time to get and socialize. And I never realized that it was kind of a whole day of going from one uh, vegan place to another and showcasing a variety of uh, different businesses. And I was really excited to see how curious your students were and how um, they were asking right questions and they were 
looking to learn as much as they could. And over the years, a lot of people who came just for lunch became my friends, uh, uh, associates like uh, Shawnee, the attorney from Seattle. She helped us to write uh, a big article about uh, OG Talk and it was published. So we really were able to establish special relationship uh, with most of your students. So thank you very much for uh, making us part of it. Well, this is so cool, especially with what I'm going to be talking about in, in the next half hour with this this author who's saying that that to live long and have great health, you need to make connections. So, Vlad, I don't know if you're going to become a billionaire with the organic grill, but you'll probably live to be 105 just because you are so connected with all these wonderful people. Uh, and yes, I agree. And uh, it's not only kind of benefiting me. Uh, it is, and hopefully I, I give them some some <laughs> use of uh, their time. But I think it's a mutually um, beneficial experience. We all need each other, and um, I wonder how we sometimes talk about uh, benefits of uh, vegan food in terms of health. But I feel very blessed emotionally to have all these people coming by. They're not necessarily all vegan, but they definitely best people I, I've met in my life. And they're vegan while they're at your place. Yeah, <laughs> it's right. a start. So Instagram people, Organic Grill on Instagram. And uh, Eddie is Eddie Comic, and that's E-D-D-I-E, -E, Eddie Comic. And we will put all the URLs on the show notes at MainStreetVegan.net. So Eddie... There are some vegan comics. I believe you're our third to be on the show. Wonderful. What's it like to be a vegan comic? Is that a thing or is it an odd well, thing? You know, there. I mean, there are vegan comics and, it, you know, you're not a, a comic is a comic, you know. So but if you happen to be vegan, it's one thing. If you happen to be tall, you're a tall comic. So, <laughs> you know, you just happen to I think you have more energy. You have your voice is stronger. You're you know, you have a strength that that a lot of people don't have. You have an energy that a lot of people don't have. You know, there's a lot of comedians who are not vegans joke about, oh, you ever how many vegetarians and they don't have any energy. But if you ever go to a vegan restaurant or a raw food restaurant, you know, or both, you know, you just, there's more energy in those rooms than in any, you know, room with tequila or, you know, that I've ever seen. And it, it's interesting, you know, and, the, and one of the things that really helps me um, with interviewing is for 17 years I was at the feet of the desk at for David Letterman, who's one of the greatest broadcasters in the history of American broadcasting. And at the same time, uh, eight years I had had a relationship with Dick Cavett, who's one of the greatest interviewers in the history of all time. And they both taught me um, that to not be interviewing people, but to have a conversation with them. Dave said it's like when he's having, you know, he acts like he's having dinner with someone and he's enjoying the you know, uh, who they are and what they're like. So you bring that whole theory of conversation, of caring, of warmth, and, you know, and uh, you just, you, you want to also, you know, what's the word? You know, yeah, curiosity is a good word. You want to, you, and you want to let other people say things. It's, it's very hard when you first start interviewing people because you're trying to fill all the space, yet, it's much better to let the, the guests fill the space. Kind of nice. 
Well, I can tell that on, on OG Talk, you know, so you got it from the greats. I don't know where Vlad got it, but you both have it. Uh, it's so much fun to, to watch and, and listen. So, Eddie, have you got a vegan joke? Um, you know what? Not really. I mean, you know, um, I it's funny when you say vegan, people all of a sudden a, a lot of times kind of like, oh, oh, here we go. So <laughs> I never, never I never really write that way. I write kind of more. Like because I work a lot in Europe and I work overseas in Asia and Australia and, and stuff like that, I try to write for humans. You know, I learned how to do that. Like you talk about dreams because everyone has dreams and, you know, but I have yet to do that. I, you know, I have a few pandemic jokes and stuff, but I'm waiting for the right opportunity to do that. Plus, in a situation like this, if you do a joke, it doesn't work because you need to see the person you need to hear the you know they have the response you know it's that whole thing again uh, you know it, it's very interesting i miss it like crazy um but i still have fun with my friends and i still have fun in my east village neighborhood oh i'm sure you do so we've we've just got a couple of minutes left but i just want to ask eddie what's it like to be a comic in the 21st century i mean there was a time when what people believed was funny was at the expense of just about everybody and now we're, we're kinder and, and we're more rational in that way. And yet, I asked for a vegan joke and I heard some dishes break. Uh, so so what's it like? Do you worry that, that you're, you're going to either, you know, cross the line or that you're just not going to be Someone's funny as you try to be kind? Well, here's the thing. you It's about our truth. We tell our truth. It's like Kevin Hart, for instance. Uh, had jokes that were not politically correct and he was a younger guy and he evolved into this incredible man who now has uh, and it really sounds funny like there's a uh, the the play noises off is going on in the background um and and so we should celebrate kevin's evolvement if that's a word when you evolve you celebrate that instead our society is knocking down people for their their past. Now, we've grown up in a society where it's a fear-based society. So the best thing to do is to learn from the mistakes from a fear-based teaching to be in a positive place, in a vegan place, in a healthy place. And you tell your truth. Now, the audience might agree with you, they might like you, they might not, but it's not up to you to try to please them. It's up to you to do your truth and if someone is offended by your truth, then that's their issue. And, you know, then they can go see somebody else kind of thing. Eddie, if you teach a stand-up class on Zoom, I will be the first to sign up. Wonderful. I've been teaching for over 20 years all over the world. So maybe you'll be able, we'll put something together, a vegan comedy class. Oh, wouldn't that be delightful? We can all yeah. uh, laugh about the broccoli. Um, <laughs> thank you both so much. Everybody check out OG Talk. The Organic Grill will be back because there is nothing keeping these gentlemen down. Thank you so, so very much, Vladimir Grinberg and Eddie Brill. And Yay. everybody else, thank you. stay with us. Thank you so much. Because after the break, we're going to learn how to grow young.
We're glad you found us. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. Welcome back, everybody. It's lovely to have you with us today. If you're new to the program, please check out my website, MainStreetVegan.net. There's all sorts of cool stuff there. And there is Main Street Vegan Academy. We talked a little bit about that with Vlad because we do have an in-person course. We'll have another one in July of 2021. You can come to New York, go to the Organic Grill, go to all kinds of wonderful places on field trips and learn up close and personal with our stellar faculty and leave as a certified vegan lifestyle coach and educator. And now you can actually get that same certification in a Zoom class. So we're doing one right now and we have another one lined up for January. So affordable at home, you get the same amazing instructors and the same very um, respected certification. So people are coaching, they are writing books and cookbooks, they have restaurants, they have businesses. They're really making the world vegan. And uh, I know you're already doing that. And if you want to do it with uh, some letters after your name, do check out Main Street Vegan Academy. Thank you. Oh, I'm so excited to be introducing for the second time Marta Zareska, who was on with her fabulous book, Meat Hooked, that if you haven't read that one, that really explains How did humans become so enamored with meat? There are actually reasons, and she tells all of them. And she is also the author of the brand new book, Growing Young, How Friendship, Optimism, and Kindness Can Help You Live to 100, a research-driven case for why optimism, kindness, and strong social networks will keep us living longer than any fitness tracker yet devised. Welcome, Marta. Thank you so much for having me once again, Victoria. I am so excited to have you on. And and during the break, you were telling me something interesting, that it might be that being an ethical vegan will help a person's health as much or even a little more than being a health vegan. Why is that? I'm actually totally cons- uh, convinced of that. I mean, there is no direct research on vegans, just to make sure about that. But there is lots of research on purpose in life or what the Japanese called ikigai or generally having something to live for and reason for living a meaning and I'm absolutely certain that lots of uh, ethical vegans among listeners do feel that the being vegan for a cause gives them this kind of feeling of having purpose and there is just so much research showing that having such such a thing in life really boosts our physical health. It doesn't only make our lives better, you know, in the emotional sense, but it actually changes our physiology and lowers our mortality risk. So it actually can be treated in a way as a diet for your health, even if, though it's just ethical. I love it. I love it. So there are some things going on socially that can be bad for our health. So loneliness, for instance, what's wrong with that? What if people say I'm just a loner? I mean, 
that depends what they mean by that. So if they mean they don't like being with other humans, that's not good for their health. If they just mean that they are introverted and then, then don't like huge parties, but they still have close friends and people that they care about and who care about them really strongly, that's perfectly fine. But unfortunately, loneliness or social isolation are re real health records. So for example, people who are lonely, they have shorter tel telomeres. So those protective cups at the ends of your chromosomes that take a very big part in aging. They also have different expression of cancer genes. So making them more uh, prone to cancer progression. There are so many different things that happen, unfortunately, negatively in our bodies when we are socially isolated. Wow. Well, a lot of us are socially isolated right now because of, of coronavirus uh, situations, but you think it could make us healthier in the long run? How's that? I mean, I hope. It's all about if we change our perspective on our social relationships right now, it could in the long run promote health. And the reason for that is that, you know, before the coronavirus stroke, we were not exactly doing very well I mean, as a society, on so our social lives, uh, only you know, well, a quarter of Americans actually claim they didn't have a single friend they could confine, uh, confine in. So it's it's very it's very very bad news. In UK, nine million people were claiming to be lonely. In in Canada, half of seniors were claiming to be lonely. These are really bad numbers. But I'm hoping that you know this current situation, when we are forced into social isolation, will make us realize how much we need those uh, social relationships. How much we need our friends, our family, and maybe next time when we start meeting them again, we won't be so much into our phones during our relationships and more into actually quality time. And this long term could really improve also our physical health. And social distancing, you say it's bad for your arteries? I mean, yes, there's just so much out there on social isolation and health. For example, you know, people who are who claim to be lonely, they end up having higher blood pressure, for example. So it can increase by 3.6 millimeters per year. That's actually been counting to such a precision uh, in people who are the most lonely. So, uh, you know, for also quite ironically, social isolation and loneliness is bad for our viral response. So we are actually much worse at dealing with viruses when we are socially isolated. There were studies when people were infected on purpose with cold viruses and those who were where the most lonely, where the most likely also to fall sick, which is very worrisome. You know, when you think about the current situation that we are isolating to prevent the virus, and which makes us more prone to the virus. But on the other hand, of course, you know, we have to be doing all those pro things, protective measures. But um, wow, yeah. Did, did any social of your, <laughs> your research uh, reveal if connecting with Zoom and that sort of thing? helps at all? And if so, how much? So yeah, so here's the thing. In if Zoom or Skype were to replace your real relationships, then it would be bad for you. But if you cannot have real relationships in physical life, then it is better than nothing. But for example, if you were to choose between texting and calling, calling is always better. There are studies showing that when we call people so we hear their voices we have actually a bigger oxytocin boost so this love hormone that also directly affects our health than from simply texting it just doesn't have the same physiological effect on our social hormones so always choose calling over texting 
Wow. Well, I, I hope that everybody that I know hears this <laughs> because one of my pet peeves is that you can't just call somebody anymore. We've gotten into this habit of scheduling phone calls. And I feel like we're scheduled for so many things that why schedule a social phone call? It just seems like being able to call somebody and say, hey, how are you doing? You know, we did that for a long time, as long as there were phones. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, and we are physical creature, which creatures. We are social apes that evolved to be surrounded by others when we have physiological reactions to being with others and from hearing their voices, from looking in their eyes, from touching their skin. It's all connected. So, you know, we cannot just pretend we can do everything online and it, it will be the same. Mm. Well, one positive thing that we have seen during the pandemic in a lot of areas is that so many people have adopted or fostered companion animals that otherwise did not have homes. So I know that when I'm with my dog, I mean, I look in his eyes and I feel like I am in the presence of pure love. Am I imagining this or is something really happening here? Oh, it's definitely happening. And I, I actually am myself among those people who have adopted just before confinement, just two weeks before we got locked down. I, I got I adopted my elderly cocker spaniel and so I'm already totally in love. But and you are completely right. You know, we have actually the oxytocin. So again, the laugh hormone boost from looking into eyes of our dog. And the same happened to the dog as well. So the dog also is profiting. And oxytocin doesn't only make you feel nice and warm and fuzzy, it actually directly affects your health. So it's, it's a natural painkiller, for example. It lower it, it also acts against inflammation. It can promote bone health. So it can prevent osteoporosis in, in, in the long run. So there are re real physiological benefits from getting the boost of oxytocin. And yes, yet also looking into your dog's eyes also works uh, to get um, that social hormone. Oh, that's so wonderful. <laughs> And I can tell that he really likes it too. It's it's a mutual <laughs> admiration society. So what else should we be doing, Marta, particularly those of us who are still very much uh, isolated to get some immune boosts? I mean, so if you have any chance to hug someone, you know, you don't have to be hugging everybody on the street or all every single person you know. But if you do live, do live with someone, for example, if you are isolating with another person, then put an extra effort into you know, touching each other, just hugging or holding hands uh, if it's a romantic partner, just, you know, patting, giving pats on the back or anything like that. We actually need that skin to skin contact. We even exchange microbes with people when we touch them for for the better because we need those, the, the diversity of the microbes for our gut health. So, so do hug the people you can if there are others with whom you are staying. And as you, we've mentioned before, cold on text, uh, and also do kind things. You know, there are, there are really lots of things we can still do, and kindness is amazing for our health. You can even see the effects on the level of leukocytes of the white blood cells in your blood, how they change uh, once we engage in acts of kindness. And um, it also lowers cortisol levels, so the stress horm hormone. It's really, really good for your health. And there are plenty of opportunities, even in social isolation. You know, when we were in lockdown and we had very, very strict lockdown here in France, we weren't even allowed to live, leave our houses without a special permission. And uh, 
And yet people are doing so many nice things in the community. For example, there was a there was a movement when everybody was leaving uh, notes, uh, thank you notes on their garbage bins for garbage collectors or nice pictures on the mailboxes for the postman and, you know, really nice little things. But it really me makes you, you feel better and makes others feel better and and also profits your health. Oh, that's so sweet. I, I love notes. I love notes on paper and um, delivering some, particularly early in the pandemic when we, we didn't even know if, you know, walking past people at six feet with a mask was safe. And I, I would put disinfectant on, on the envelope and, and stick a note under neighbors' doors. So I thought I was just brightening a day. I didn't know I was adding years to their life. So that's a good feeling. And to your so, life. <laughs> So um, you have mentioned the smartphone a, a couple of times. I mean, is it really bad? I mean, is it bad enough that we should think about limiting its use or tossing it out? I mean, it is bad for our relationship quality. So there is so much research already out there showing, for example, that it's enough to put a phone on the table when you're having a conversation with another person. You don't have to look at the phone, just have it out there. And it, the, the other person will, will rate the quality of the conversation and the relationship as lower. And because the quality of our relationship ships be it with friends, with family, or our romantic relationships matters so much for our health, then anything that really spoils that quality is bad. So definitely, you know, when you are with other people, so-called fubbing, so the you know just ignoring others to look at your phone, is in long term bad for your health. Wow. Well, your your book is growing young, and so I want to ask a couple of aging questions. Botox. You say it has a relationship with longevity. Yes. And the reason for that is that we have something called facial feedback. So our facial expressions can actually trigger or change our emotions. You can try it by, you know, forcing yourself to smile. And after a while, you'll start feeling happier. Or if you force yourself to really, you know, look angry, then you actually will start feeling angry after a while. It's actual physiological reaction. And studies show that this process malfunctions in people who have Botox injections. And this in turn can lead to, um, to lower quality relationships with others. Because when people cannot perceive or read emotions, uh, they also have lower empathy. And this is all connected to, uh, to our being with others and our quality of relationships or directly to our so-called caregiving system, which we evolved to care for other people and which makes us uh, healthier in the long run. That is utterly fascinating. And, and how about retirement? I mean, so many people are just count the days until they can stop working. But I get a sense that's not so great for longevity either. I mean, it really depends how you retire. If your goal is to retire and never do anything again, just to retire on your couch and watch Netflix the whole time, that probably is not a good idea. Uh, for example, when I was traveling for growing young research in Japan, which is the longest lived nation currently, uh, their people are not very enthusiastic about the Western style retirement. So what they actually often do is that after their retirement age, they do retire from their 
usual jobs. And then they go to so-called silver hair retirement uh, job agencies, uh, where they look for different kinds of jobs. They call them silver hair jobs. And uh, they are much simpler uh, occupations, easier. For example, somebody who used to be a banker may become a parking attendant or a public space gardener, uh, part-time usually, for not much money, but they they do it to be uh, engaged in the society, to be still useful, to be with other people, to just do something for others. And uh, it's actually so important for them that the health, uh, the government uh, of Japan actually considers it one of the uh, health promoting uh, things to encourage people to do this kind of occupations uh, after the official retirement from their usual jobs. Wow. Well, where else, what other countries are are doing a good job of helping people grow young? I mean, it's hard to judge this way. You know, some each country has something going on for it. But I can t- certainly talk about France and other Mediterranean countries because I live here uh, and I've been here quite a long time. And uh, one thing that really strikes me is the way the Mediterranean people eat. And, uh, and you know, we often talk about the Mediterranean diet and how it is very healthy and good for us. And we look how much olive oil they consume, how much red wine they drink, and so on and so on. But the huge thing we're, I think, in the West completely omitting here is the way they eat, with whom they eat, because it's not just about the food they they consume. It's the whole, you know, the whole process around it. And for the French people, for the Italians, for the Spaniards, eating is a, a whole celebration. You know, they they almost never eat by themselves. They always love to be surrounded with others. Uh, for example, you know, there there are statistics showing that among people who are in their 30s and 40s in France, over 60% eat their dinner at a table with their family every single day. And, you know, in the US, the, the number is, I think, 24%. And it was even not specified if it wasn't by any chance in front of TV. So it's it's obviously much more important here to eat with other people. And uh, this is certainly a very big part why the Mediterranean diet is so good for you. Wow. I mean, I have so many wonderful memories of, of France. When my husband was working there, he was in a supervisory uh, position and he would say, everybody takes two hours for lunch. Mm-hmm. And he was just, he was just like, like they take two hours for lunch. My daughter at her school takes two hours for lunch each and, each and every day. Then they have, you know, they have the appetizer and the first, the first and the main dish and the cheese plate and the dessert. And they eat and eat and eat and eat every single day. And she's only seven. So uh, it's it's really impressive. Yeah, it's a very, it's a, a different culture. And I remember another time I, I was in Paris and and having dinner and there was a gentleman and he was dining alone he was probably in his 60s and you know i noticed course after course coming and i suppose i stared for a few seconds too long and he knew i was american and he looked over and he just gave me the biggest smile that i interpreted as I know how to live. And if you stay here long enough, you will too. (laughs) So with all of this connection and love and stuff going on that's being helpful, is family better than friends? Are they equal? Where should we be getting all these connections? 
I mean, so it doesn't really matter where you get your connections as long as you do you have them. So it doesn't have to be family. You can definitely, there is actual research on that. You can actually replace family with friends. It sounds bad, but it basically means that as long as you have people who are close to you, they then don't have to be related by blood. If you have really close friends, it's also great, but you have to have people on whom you feel you can rely, who you know will be there for you and you will be there for them. And there is also no magic number there. So some people ask me, how many friends should I have? And uh, and I also asked the same question to Professor uh, Robin Dunbar at Oxford, the, the one who actually uh, counted how many friends we should have the famous Dunbar number and uh, and he told me that it really depends on the person so for one for someone there may be only one person they really need so one good friend is enough but another person will feel lonely if they only have one good friend and they will need for example five but as long as you feel that you have you know enough good friends that is all that's important and do they need to be geographically near? We're in such a mobile society. They have to, unfortunately, that there is no going around it. You have to see them in person at least once a week. And uh, and if you don't, then it it's cannot be replaced by anything. You know, we are physiologically connected, as I said before. You know, when you are in a romantic couple, for example, people synchronize their bodies to an amazing degree to the point where their skin, electric skin conductance is synchronized. You know, it's just absolutely fascinating how we are in tune with other people. And unfortunately, we have to meet with them in person to have this kind of connections. It doesn't work another way. Wow. So what does the science say about love and marriage? Is sex going to make us live longer? I mean, sex is good for you, too, because it gives you a great boost of oxytocin. Um, but marriage definitely and generally, maybe not, let's not call it marriage, but the co very committed romantic relationship. And, uh, and if you were to do only one single thing for your health, that would be exactly this kind of happy romantic relationship because it can boost your health far more than the best of diets or best exercise regime. For example, if you want some numbers, uh, it can lower your mortality risk by about 45%. And for diet or exercise, it's only around 20 to 30%. So this is really, really amazing. And the key word here is committed because research shows that if you are just with someone without this feeling that you are in it for good until this kind of death do us part, then you don't get the same boost for your health. It's probably to do with the feeling of security and that you can rely on the other person no matter what. And yet some people simply do not have that. Either it didn't happen for them this life, or maybe they had a, a great romantic relationship and the other person has passed away. So what do you say to somebody like, too bad? I'm hoping that there's a, a much better answer than that. I mean, there are definitely, you know, positive things is that most vast majority of Americans do marry at some point. It's over 90% that they that will get married. And, uh, and of course, others will have uh, even more people will have a committed romantic relationship. So it does happen to most people. And uh, of course, you know, things happen in life. And then unfortunately, there is not that much you can do. But if you have someone, then there are things you can do to foster the relationship there, you know, you cannot just take 
take it for granted. You know, when people, when you think about how much effort people put into their diets, into their exercise regimes, how much they think uh, and read about the, all the miracle foods and fat diets and uh, downloading apps to keep their you know, uh, muscles stronger and things like that. And how much effort do we put into our romantic life? I, I bet for most people it's much less. And it shouldn't be that way. And romantically connected at any given time or not, we, we can all like volunteer and, and do good for somebody. That helps too, right? Yes, it's at least as good as your diet and exercise being kind and doing charitable work, um, especially volunteering your time, is absolutely amazing for your health. For example, volunteers uh, spend 30% less time in hospitals than people who don't who don't volunteer. And this has also very physiological effects on your body. And um, the reason for that is that we evolved this, as I've mentioned before, this caregiving system uh, to be able to take care of mostly our children and when because to be able to care for someone you have to be calm you have to uh your systems, your cortisol or the stress-related systems in your body, the fight and flight response has to be calm because otherwise you are not capable of really caring. So it also happens when we care for other people, not just for our children, but when we are volunteering or helping our neighbors, for example, this, all the systems activate as well. And they have very powerful downstream effects, positive effects on our body. Amazing. So in our last 45 seconds, how about attitude? Does it help to be optimistic? Oh, tremendously. So optimism can add you anywhere from four to 10 years of life. So this is really amazing. So just having the positive outlook, you know, there were fascinating studies on nuns, for example, Catholic nuns, and uh, because their lives were all extremely similar, you know, they have the same lifestyle, they eat the same thing, they wake up at the same hour. And yet those who have this cheerful, positive outlook outlive those who are much more gloomy by 10 years. That is amazing. It makes me want to be much less gloomy. <laughs> Marta Zareska, I admire you so much because I know how hard it is to do all this research and collect all this data and turn it into an absolutely beautiful book that you can't put down. So everybody, the book is Growing Young, How Friendship, Optimism, and Kindness Can Help You Live to 100. Marta Zareska, may you live to 100, or as I said to my earlier guest, to 105. And that goes to all of you listeners as well and the good people of Unity Online Radio. God bless everybody and eat your veggies. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. We spend a third of our lives sleeping and dreaming, yet most of us have no idea what goes on during that time. I'm Kelly Sullivan Walden, and as a dream expert and best-selling author, I'm here to empower you to mine the gold from your nighttime dreams. 
Join me on the Kelly Sullivan Walden Show, part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network, available wherever you get your podcasts. Until we meet again, don't take your dreams lying down.